Welcome to Important Not Important. My name is Quinn Emmett. And my name is Brian Colbert Kennedy. This is the podcast where we dive into a specific topic <laughs> or question affecting everyone on the planet right now or in the next 10 years. Mm-hmm. If they can kill us mm-hmm. or turn, it, turn us into Iron Man or Captain mm-hmm. Marvel or... You've written Hawkeye here, but I'm not that into I Hawkeye. Know. I, you know what? I wrote it and I don't believe in it. The point is we're in. Yeah. Uh, our guests are scientists, doctors, engineers, politicians, astronauts. We had a reverend. Mm-hmm. And we work together toward action steps that our listeners can take with their voice, their vote, and their dollar. Truth. Uh, this is your friendly reminder that you can send questions, thoughts, and feedback or hand-drawn pictures, hate mail, ransom notes, whatever you need at Twitter at importantnotimp. Or you can email us at uh, funtalk at importantnotimportant.com. You can also subscribe to our weekly newsletter at importantnotimportant.com. There's a lot to do there, including... Holy shit balls. Okay, holy shit. We have been nominated, uh, Brian and I, uh, as best podcast host uh, in the 2019 Webbies, the 23rd Webbies, which is... (laughs) 23rd Webbies. Fucking crazy. People who've won a Webby. Prince. Yeah. Yeah. Um, a lot of people, Beastie Boys. Oh, I, There's so many it, people. Uh, the, the nominations this year are insane. It's completely insane. Thirteen thousand entries. Uh, all right. The other nominees in our category <laughs> for best podcast hosts are Serial. You may have heard of it. So the biggest podcast of all time. <laughs> Some for like sixty percent of people is their first podcast. Uh, They're kind of there. Uh, Pod Save the People with Deray Mickerson, who, who's uh, Deray McKesson, who's just a hero. Uh, incredible leader, uh, 21st century uh, civil rights leader for the Black Lives Matter uh, movement from from Baltimore. Um, and Night Vale, who the folks there are some of the most creative people ever. I mean, that that whole series and everything they've built there is incredible. Anyways, and then us. So and I don't know how the fuck us. we made the list. Uh, but it's amazing. And look, there's two awards. There's a judge's award, which Damn. we have no control over, but nope. we're going to send Teddy to them. Um, <laughs> and there's the People's Vote Award, which we're also not going to win, but we're in it. So we would be hugely appreciative if right now you went to importantnotimportant.com slash vote uh, to vote for us. And we're going to try to take this thing home. It's going to take 10 seconds. We are the only independent show on that list, which is crazy. And we couldn't be more proud of that and the proud of the work we do here every day. Brian hates driving to the office. And I told him it was going to fucking pay off one of these times. It rained on me today. We got him a new desk and everything. It didn't rain. Why would I lie? Anyways, we're so thankful. Thank you for listening and supporting us uh, along the way. Important, not important.com slash vote. You can do it on your phone or your computer or whatever you got. Yep. Uh, We would appreciate it. So very much uh, back to it. Hey, Brian, this week's question is, uh-huh. I thought we'd go light today. How do we atone for poisoning generations of American minorities? So light. You Just don't have the answer? Super, oh, uh, no. Oh, okay. We, okay, we have somebody that does have <laughs> yeah. some answers. Tell us, uh, tell us about our guest today. Well, our guest, to gently hold our hands through this, mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. is the very impressive Dr. Michael Dorsey. Uh, he is a recognized expert on global energy, finance, and sustainability matters. Uh, in 2013, the National Journal named him one of 200 national energy and environment expert insiders. Mm-hmm. In 1997, Rotary, in- Rotary International gave uh, Dr. Dorsey their highest honor, the Paul Harris Medal for Distinguished Service to Humanity. You're next. I think I'm getting one of those. He's a graduate of the University of Michigan, Yale, and the John Hopkins uh, University. Uh, Dr. Dorsey is a full member of the Club of Rome, uh, and he's on about a 1,000 boards and has worked for uh, Bush Sr., uh, Clinton, and Obama uh, in the areas of energy, environment, and sustainability. I'm pretty sure 
the Paul Harris Medal for Distinguished Service to Humanity is what comes right after Best Podcast Host. At the <laughs> I wonder how I many email nice... blasts he shot out to, to win that award. Oh, Jesus. I know, right? How many custom Instagram stories, graphics uh-huh. he made. Mm-hmm. Anyways, mm-hmm. listen, uh, this is a good one. Um, really good. Incredibly smart dude. So well-traveled and is just, I mean, seems to... A guy from Detroit is out there making change everywhere he goes, which is which is everywhere. Yeah. So fascinating chat, and we're going to dig into uh, the history of what we have done to make this an unfair playing field, just like everything else. Way to go. Yep, way to go, everybody. Way to go. Uh, let's go dig into it. We got some positive outlook going forward. Let's do it. Let's do it. Our guest today is Dr. Michael Dorsey, and together we're going to uh, just get into it. How do we... Uh, atone for basically poisoning generations of American minorities. Uh, Michael, welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me. What a a topic discussion. Yeah, good stuff. We're starting off light today. Yeah. Uh, Doctor, tell us just real quick uh, who you are and what you do. So I'm Michael Dorsey, and principally I'm an investor in solar energy. That's, I suppose, what you'd call my day job. Uh, But I'm also uh, been long time involved in working on environmental justice issues, environmentalism, uh, various kinds of activism. Uh, and then I'm a recovering professor. I spent <laughs> a decade at Dartmouth uh, and a bit of time at Wesleyan and then have been visiting faculty at other institutions as well. Uh, that was mostly uh, in the early 21st century. Got it. What made you, uh, I mean, I feel like there's a thousand reasons for this that that you hear all the time and that my, my friends tell me about, but what made you specifically run away from academia as fast as possible? Well, I didn't think I ran away. Uh, I wouldn't characterize it as running away. Um, I, you know, gently uh, walked out the door and, and, uh, and then it's kind of like the mafia uh, in, in the strict sense of that term. Uh, you never really leave it. Uh, some mm-hmm. colleagues and I right now are working uh, through an, an entity called the Climate Working Group, which is heavily biased with, of New York-based academics, but it's a truly worldwide group. And we've got an edited volume we're working on uh, for Rutledge's uh, quick uh, press um, label. That's going to come out uh, later this year. It's on the interface of climate and art. Uh, so we've got co-authors like uh, Paul Miller, who's also known as DJ Spooky, mm-hmm. uh, and, and various other folks uh, that are working on that. So we're constantly... Producing and the we is you know my collective of of scholarly colleagues, but also uh, scholar activists, intellectuals, uh, other professionals, uh, constantly working in the knowledge uh, production space. Uh, once you're in that, you don't ever leave it. And you know, really, the world is kind of an academy. So while I'm formally not associated with the university, uh, that's a, a space that I'll probably be in uh, knowledge production for the rest of my life. That's cool, man. So, so kind of left the formal constraints a little bit, right. and uh, like you said, knowledge production doesn't doesn't really leave you the, the itch to get those things out there. Uh, that sounds awesome. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. All right, well, let's get into it. Uh, uh, as a reminder, what we do here is uh, set up set up a little context for our our, our question or our topic. Uh, dig into some action oriented uh, uh, questions that get to the core of of uh, why we should all give a shit about it and what we can all do about it. Does that sound good? Sounds like a plan. Awesome. Uh, so, Michael, we like to kick this thing off with one very important question to set the tone a little bit. 
Uh, instead of saying, um, tell us your entire life story, as interesting as I'm sure that is, uh, we like to pivot a little bit and say, Michael, why are you vital to the survival of the species? You know, uh, if I dared answer such a grandiose question, Please uh, be bold. I would probably be, uh, you know, offering your listeners the, the most grotesque amount of hyperbole ever possible on, on podcast or radio or the <laughs> airwaves. So uh, I, I wouldn't say individually, um, you know, critical. However, it is the collective of individuals that I'm working with. What we're trying to do is deliver 22nd century technology through changing the production of energy as we know it. And we're doing that by actively working and installing renewable energy, particularly solar. Um, I just came back from India a couple of weeks ago where I've begun to uh, openly invest and actively invest uh, in a new up-and-coming, soon-to-be Tier 1 uh, solar panel manufacturer. Tier 1 simply means hmm. they produce a gigawatt uh, quantity of solar panels sure. uh, per year. Uh, they're not there yet. They're soon going to be there. We I also actively invest in uh, solar developers, uh, particularly greenfield developers. Uh, I have a minority stake in a um, a couple of Spanish solar developers. Uh, we've now uh, have partnerships uh, in the Americas uh, as well as Southern Africa. Uh, we're looking at building out almost uh, 200 megawatts project and one project in Zimbabwe. We're, we're fully 18 months down track on that. Uh, we're looking actively of doing, we're doing smaller projects all over the world. We just are right now in process on a three megawatt project uh, for a school in Puerto Rico. So the solution that we're working on is pushing uh, the build out of renewable energy uh, globally. Uh, and then right alongside that, in parallel, uh, working to change the rules to make that build out more realizable, let us say, mm -hmm. uh, to make it uh, happen faster, to make its uptake more sensible, uh, to also enable it to be accessed by uh, the poorest of the poor, uh, as well as uh, to push the riches of the rich uh, to get behind it, particularly from the investing side. And, and then to twin that with education about the viability of future energy, and then to also force a conversation about where we see, at least some of my colleagues and I, see the future, the medium to longer term future of energy. Right now, the average solar panel, uh, in terms of just its true cost, is down near a quarter, uh, 25 cents for those Americans out there listening. Uh, and so that means for just under $10, the average home, which takes about, you know, two to three dozen panels. So just under $10, you can put panels on the real cost on your average home. It doesn't include all the labor costs, but the real cost. So right now we're really close to what we call the margin zero effect, where the, the hardware will essentially be effectively free. So that has huge implications on the political economy, sure. of not just how we produce energy, but what we can do with the profits uh, that still come from it. Uh, you know, looking forward. So, and that has huge implications for it. You can imagine if, if you can you know, generate monies from something that's um, essentially free, you can put monies elsewhere. You know, you can take the, the profits sure. that come from energy production and put them into healthcare and improving healthcare. You can put them into education. You can put them into many other things. So we are pursuing this, you know, at least 
certainly from a business advantage, absolutely, but also twinning that with education, uh, with activism, um, to essentially deliver climate justice, as it were, mm-hmm. uh, and to, to fight uh, climate injustice and to fight environmental racism. And, and we think, and we don't think, we actually know, because we've done the numbers, we've done the math, we've done our homework, that that future deliverable, delivering renewable energy towards the goal of using it to be a beachhead against climate injustice, we know it's possible, we know it's doable, we know that in states like South Carolina, there's more people working in the solar industry than there are in mining mm-hmm. these days. We know in states like Texas, we got more people uh, in solar and wind than we have in oil and gas. Uh, so we know in very uh, particular areas where you wouldn't necessarily think it's happening, the solar revolution is playing out very, very aggressively. Mm-hmm. And I like to remind people that the trillion-dollar train, which is really what renewable energy is, has long left the station. So anybody who's not on it uh, is essentially a damn fool. Um, <laughs> so that's what we're up to. No, I, I dig it. So, so little little baby steps then. Seems like a... Absolutely. absolutely. Small, because, small you know, goals. You, you know, you only uh, deliver and ask for the impossible. That's the only thing that's reasonable these days. Yeah. Well, that's what we need, right? Um, right. So, all right. That's awesome. So uh, very forward looking, but at the same time recognizing uh, that that the that the the justice side and the business side and the technology side all all have to go together, and that does seem like a a, a, a thankfully a, a theme and a, an ethos behind so much of what is going into planning the next generation of these of these economies, right? Of this of the Absolutely. legislation where it exists, or or regulation, or market based solutions, whatever they are for for a lot of them. Some of them do not, and there's a lot of people have arguments with them. Uh, with this, but but it seems like to the folks that, that well, I guess the ones that we like the best, uh, it it goes hand in hand. So, but what I want to do today is really dig into wh- why that's necessary, and and kind of like why when you if you walk through an elementary school and there's a rule that says you know don't put gum in the lockers, it's because somebody fucking put gum in lockers, right? Which is the rule exists for a reason, and we have to talk about environmental justice because there's been a fair amount of injustice for quite a while. And I, that's what I kind of want to dig in today. So just for, for a little context for, for everybody, a little bit of a reminder, this is not the first time we've talked about environmental justice on here. But to clarify again what that means, let's, let's use the EPA's official definition. It is the fair treatment and meaningful involvement of all people, regardless of race, color, national origin, or income, with respect to the development, implementation, and enforcement of environmental laws, regulations, and policies. Now, I use the EPA's, I, I use the EPA's definition right there, not because uh, they are actively upholding that, uh, or you're probably thinking, well, at least this iteration of the EPA doesn't, but really the, the lack of environmental justice per, per that specific doctrine or anything like it has been, has been comprehensive. The injustice has been comprehensive and significant and, and very specific for decades now, right? Uh, In America, 68% of African-Americans and 40% of Latinos live within 30 miles of a coal-fired power plant. Uh, And that just didn't happen in the past two years. There's decades building there. And and that's the baseline, right? Uh, Dirty air, dirty water, breathing issues, asthma, uh, heart issues, food issues, heat issues, uh, chemical dumping grounds. These are all everyday life uh, for, for America's minorities, right? So... 
these relatively permanent issues are why folks like yourself and uh, one of our favorite humans on the planet, Rihanna Gunn Wright, uh, the, the architect of the Green New Deal, are working to make sure that environmental justice and environmental equality and these new jobs and new technologies are in lockstep, like you said, and they are a codified part of any new legislation uh, that seeks to slow down this <laughs> Armageddon-like climate nightmare we're, we're, we're building towards, right? So if we're building a new energy system for a, a new world, it has to include people too, not just the planet, not just the technology, the people, not just power plants and not just white people, uh, but everyone else. Uh, but here is the really the, the thornier question, because we can't just move forward, uh, at least in my perspective. And I think there's a fair amount of other people that feel this way, too. But it is a thorny one. And, and for some stupid reason, it's a it's a taboo question for many or the ultimate sunk cost valley, which is basically how, how do we atone for 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 poisoning generations of American minorities for for building those power plants in those specific areas? So. Michael, I actually want to take a quick step back as we get into this year, because you are, are the, maybe the most well-traveled human I've ever encountered. Um, <laughs> I, I feel like I, I have somewhat of a semblance of an answer to this, but I would love to know that I'm wrong in a million different ways. I would love to know so, that Quinn's wrong. Yep. Yeah, thank you, Brian. That's great. Um, how do international minorities compare to Americans in their respect? I, I hesitate to think of cities like uh, Delhi or Beijing because everybody's fucked there, but somewhere like London or somewhere analogous or more, maybe more, a little more suburban and rural. Have these systems been des designed the same way? Is environmental injustice institutionalized in those places as well? You know, unfortunately, you know, and, and I like to, to, and it's really, I think it's very important for your listeners to understand and make in their minds the distinction between environmental justice Mm -hmm. uh, and and I, I love the fact that you began with, you know, from what I would consider the, the first principles position, uh, you know, using uh, the EPA's definition of what environmental justice is about. But I, I want to make the distinction between environmental justice for listeners and environmental injustice, uh, as well as environmental racism. Right? Please, please. Um, and it's important to make that distinction simply because to answer your, your question dead on, there is indeed the problem of environmental injustice uh, in other countries, not just the United States. Uh, many colleagues have, have looked at this, you know, colleagues at University of Michigan, Dr. Dorsita Taylor, uh, folks uh, at, at Tufts, uh, Dr. Julian Ajiman, uh, and many, many others have been looking at the incidence of environmental injustice in other countries. Uh, you know, Julian, uh, Dr. Ajiman, you know, from Tufts has looked at a lot of this this problem of environmental racism in, in the United Kingdom in particular. So where we have uh, other ethnic minority groups, marginalized peoples of which all countries, you know, have, uh, you, know, you know, such individuals, mm -hmm. such populations of individuals, uh, it, it is a common thing to see that those on the margins of society, uh, you know, whether they be poor and disenfranchised, whether they be black, brown, or otherwise, uh, they are oftentimes, more often than not, the recipient of noxious chemicals, uh, marginalization, other forms, political economic marginalization. Um, and, and that's uh, not, I'll say it's not completely unlike it is in the United States. It, it certainly is different because if you just go a few miles from my hometown of Detroit uh, and walk south and you get into Canada, the very categories of you know, African-American um, they change because, you know, we're no longer in America, right? So sure. we've got, you know, Canadian, 
um, African of descent, of African descent, and so forth. But though the categories change, you still have got marginalized people, uh, native um, you know, brothers and sisters, the First Nations folks in Canada, uh, being uh, the, the recipient of environmental racism in many forms, whether it's uh, pipelines or various pernicious forms of extractivism and so forth. Um, uh, so you, you do have that problem. Uh, you see indigenous folks uh, to the south, the United States and Mexico, again, um, you know, being uh, uh, on the short end of the stick, as it were, in terms of uh, being disproportionately burdened by chemicals and hazards. One of my uh, uh, sort of early uh, research efforts uh, for my master's was looking at a, uh, a gold mine that was poisoning uh, native folks in Mexico and northern Mexico in particular, and they were being poisoned by uh, <clears throat> the Hecla Mining Company hmm. uh, in uh, in Sonora, Mexico. So the problem of environmental racism is, is by no means unique to the United States. Uh, and and as, as you might imagine, as a consequence of its failure to be unique to the United States, the, the global movement uh, for environmental justice uh, that parallels the movement, the global movement for climate justice is absolutely not unique to the United States either. You've got groups around the world, whether they be in Europe, uh, whether they in Africa, uh, in Asia, uh, Latin America, uh, around the world, uh, fighting for environmental justice, uh, fighting against uh, despotic, uh, you know, uh, I call them crypto-klepto, you know, pernicious transnational uh, corporations, a lot of them sycophantic and sociopathic recidivistic corporate criminals. And by that, I mean a very you know, technical term of they repeat offenders, they've been poisoning communities over and over again, uh, they've been brought to courts of justice, they paid fines, and they continue to poison communities. So the only way we, we ought to describe some of these corporations is as sociopathic, uh, as recidivistic corporate criminals, which many of them are, are by definition. Um, and so the resistance uh, to that kind of activity, that kind of sociopathy, uh, is indeed, thankfully, a global movement, and it's taking shape in the form of a movement for climate justice, a movement for environmental justice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I think that, yeah, I, I, I think that makes a lot of sense, and I'm, I'm, I'm glad to see that we're, you know, finally seeing some, some relatively systematic whiplash uh, uh, of, of, and I, you know, I'm not sure what, what enables it the most. I don't know if it's social media, which everyone loves to rip on, but, it, but has undoubtedly connected uh, so many people in so many ways. You know, we can see. Someone like uh, Rihanna Gunwright uh, brought to the front. We can see people, you know, these children skipping school all over the world uh, to march for injustice. We can we can see when a Black Lives Matter march because uh, another young black man is is shot in the street. You know, we can see these things. We can measure these things. We can anybody can get a you know one of these meters that hooks up to your house and goes onto an open grid and can show how poisonous your neighborhood is. You know, it feels like we're just at this almost like a breaking point where all of these things are enabling a lot of mass chaos, but, but hopefully some, some good things to, to come from it. Well, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't by no means, by any means limit the battle uh, for environmental justice to social media. And the reality is, is that most people worth their salt of which most people are worth their salt will fight uh, to the bitter end for uh, their own lives, for, certainly for the livelihood of their children, mm-hmm. independent of whether they can tweet about it or not. Sure. Uh, and independent of whether they can get on Facebook and talk about it or not. So really, what's really, I think, really interesting is that uh, you've seen now a good uh, generation and a half, two, three generation old movement 
leveraging some new tools, some new social media tools. But really, most people forget uh, that you know Sunday morning, April four, when that shot rang out of the world and sure. took the, the life of Martin Luther King Jr. He was actually uh, you know down in Memphis uh, agitating uh, for the rights of trash workers to get them a better protection yep. uh, and to protect them from their exposures that they were facing. So this this movement for the protection against toxic mayhem uh, is a really old movement, uh, and it's been going on for quite some time. Uh, and it's really, it, it, on a certain level, uh, underpins and underscores you know, the, the global movement uh, for a healthy, safe, clean environment. Sure, and you're right. And, and, and I didn't mean to... To shade over those by any stretch again, you know, like I think I said before we got going, you know, we try to point people towards action steps uh, to keep going uh, a lot of sort of this newer momentum involving a lot of newer folks uh, that are marching in the streets or online for the for the first time. And and they're learning from people like John Lewis uh, and others who have been doing it for forever, you know, uh, DeRay, uh, you know, Mickerson wouldn't exist without uh, Martin Luther King Jr., Shot literally 51 years ago today, I think, right? Uh, 1968. That's right. The day right. before today. That's T- right. Today, that's right. That's so right. Uh, that was not intended today, but I think yeah, it's kind wild. of perfect. And, yeah. and you're right. I mean, I, I, uh, I, th- th- they wouldn't exist without uh, people like Incredible John Lewis and all those other folks who've been doing it for so long. It's like you said. It's interesting to see these. The folks have been doing it forever, and the new folks taking the mantle, using some of these new tools, and and recognizing. Uh, that their their voice can, can have such a broader broader reach now. You know, obviously, yeah. uh, 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 young black men have been getting shot in the streets or worse uh, for for many <laughs> decades and centuries in America. It's just that when it happens, everyone in the world finds out about it thirty seconds later now, right? Because it is either yeah. broadcast live or someone is there reporting it, uh, or his family reports it, uh, and and we're able to see that. And again, it can make things chaotic, but it is, I think starting to cause some change. And I, and I think that's really important. So yeah, I, go ahead, Brian, what are you going to say? Well, so let's, you know, how, how does it go down? You know, let's, let's get to why, why, why how is it happening in, you know, in the U S are, are we, uh, uh, are we only making affordable real estate, uh, for minorities in communities that, uh, already have a power plant or trash water, or is it vice versa? Or, you know, are, are we, dumping in their nice backyards, ruining it? Or do we build a power plant in their backyard and, and poison their air and destroy their property values? Or or both, probably? Well, well the, the data is in, in terms of, you know, the way in which environmental racism works. And, and this is this is very little bit of, you know, there's very little chicken-egg problems. You know, that mm-hmm. was an old debate, you know, maybe 20 years ago when people dared, you know, sort of, you know, argue, well, you know, those poor people moved in next to that facility. Right. But the reality is, is that there has been a, a good long, uh, you know, sort of now coming into almost a generation of data, you know, from folks, whether it's, you know, Dr. Robert Bullard, uh, you know, folks like uh, Paul Mohai, again, another, there's a big critical mm-hmm. mass of research at the University of Michigan, you know, Paul Mohai, the, and Dr. Brian Bryan Emeritus, who's my professor at Michigan, Dorsita Taylor, who's there now, that have been collecting and, and gathering this data for, you know, again, going on a couple of generations. And unfortunately, in the United States, we call it environmental racism because there has been a, a good, hefty track record of the disproportionate siting of toxic and hazardous waste facilities in communities of color. Mm-hmm. Um, people of color uh, more 
many, many times over more likely to, to, to be the recipient of that disproportionate sighting uh, than their white counterparts in the United States. So the, the facilities themselves, uh, you know, are targeting uh, those communities. And they oftentimes, and the data is in, that, that they target those communities independent of wealth. So it's not the case so much that you think, well, okay, well, you know, perhaps if you have you know, uh, more economically advantaged you know, African-Americans, that somehow they're going to miss the toxic facility. Mm-hmm. And indeed, uh, the opposite is true. Uh, the facilities are tracking and, and, and setting up and disproportionately siding themselves in black and brown communities more so uh, than they are in white communities. Uh, and that's just that's just the facts. You know, there's, right. there's nothing to, to dispute about it. And, and that's why I like what you began with the EPA. Uh, the very reason that the, the EPA set up its office now called the Office of Environmental Justice, it should be called the Office of Environmental Equity, uh, back in the 20th century when they first began, but that name was quickly changed over to the Office of Environmental Justice. The very reason why they set it up was to tackle this problem that they recognized. Uh, and despite uh, the office being you know, consistently underfunded, consistently marginalized by president after president, uh, you know, going back now, uh, you know, 25 plus years, the the fact is that the EPA recognizes this problem. Um, and it's it's one that's taken seriously. Uh, it's one where we've seen a lot of litigation as well on behalf of a great number of communities. Uh, it's one we've seen, you know, in, in the example of the Flint case in Michigan, sure. uh, we, we, we've seen the criminal activity uh, touched the, the doorstep uh, of the fo- former governor of the state of Michigan. So where we've got mm-hmm. uh, a number of folks have been indicted, uh, some folks uh, facing quite serious criminal charges for the environmental racism that they meted out against the citizens of Flint, Michigan. Um, so this is actually not just an apocryphal problem, not just a, sort of a, a theoretical problem that scholars have just been looking at, but it's a very real problem that's put real lives at risk, uh, harmed, a great number of citizens in the United States. And, and it's, a, it's a problem that uh, folks are actively battling. Uh, and so and it's, it's something that we, you know, we, you know, many folks, we, we certainly take it seriously, but different communities are responding in, a, in a, gr- a great number of different ways, whether it's in Flint, Michigan, whether it's in communities like Chester, Pennsylvania, uh, where they've uh, taken uh, the old Westinghouse incinerator that was there and had a big battle against that, whether it's in Louisiana's chemical corridor, uh, a great number of communities uh, all around the United States have been you know, fighting this problem. Well, we're getting into how we're, we're fighting that problem. And, and I appreciate your appreciation for first principles. It's something that I can't say I was too schooled on uh, younger, but I, I, the more I read and whether it's Marcus Aurelius or other things like that uh, later on, uh, you know, it is incredible how much it can clarify your thinking uh, when you build those oh, it helps. systems Absolutely. for I mean, yourself. You know, the, 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 you know, some of this problem is, even though the I would not say uh, the U.S. government has been leading the resistance by no means, <laughs> and, and they've been getting you know chastised by this. Right. But a, a great number of the studies that it, that have sort of unearthed and exposed environmental racism have come out of uh, government agencies. One of the earliest ones in the early, you know, 80s was, was, was came out of the General Accounting Office. Uh, that was, you know, uh, commissioned, uh, you know, by some Congress folks. But it, it, it revealed the extent of environmental racism and the disproportionate citing of, of hazards in, in North Carolina. And that was a, a General Accounting Office study in 1983. So, so the government has, though they haven't been sure. checking the problem, they've been doing a damn good job of coming up with some reports that identify it. <laughs> 
Sure. And, and, and again, it's, it's very easy and important to point out when that is not functioning correctly uh, or when we have been led astray in some way or, or those that, that, that first uh, mission statement of theirs, that principle is being um, misused or misguided or not applied at all. But like you said, there there is a lot of support there, and it's going going forward. And, and we'll get into the action stuff here as well. You know, governments are always going to have the most power to do something because there there is no private entity that even comes close. Whether we're talking about uh, pure, pure pure financials or the ability to legislate on a local or state or 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 federal or even in this case going forward international level, right. you know, it is a it it is it is a vital entity. Whether you're a liberal, libertarian, or a, or a liberal or a conservative, uh, it is going to have the most impact on on whatever level we're talking about. Um, so, and and as Quinn mentioned, you know, talking about action, uh, mm-hmm. you know, how how are we, you know, talking about environmental justice now going forward? What what's the plan? And maybe you can talk to us a little about uh, how you're building it into your plans. Well, so you know. It, it really depends almost on on where you are. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, like I said, you know, there is not only a, a domestic U.S. environmental justice movement. There's a a global uh, environmental justice movement, uh, and and that movement is, is largely, uh, you know, as you sort of mentioned earlier, it is about uh, protecting uh, people first and foremost from the disproportionate. Uh, targeting and citing of hazardous, you know, chemical and toxic materials. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the, the, there's a variety of ways that community groups, organizations, uh, you know, individuals even have been fighting this. Uh, some of it is, you know, like what I like to call uh, keeping the heat in the street, as it were. <laughs> but at, at mm-hmm. the same time, there's been uh, not just uh, watching, uh, but a lot of pressure on those that are in the suites uh, as well. Uh, and by that, uh, there's been uh, litigation uh, and lawsuits against many of the polluters. Uh, there have been, you know, uh, many, many protests in different communities. Uh, people have uh, brought in, uh, you know, researchers and experts to to better identify the extent of, of you know, poisoning and what, what kinds of hazards that people are facing. Uh, there have been lots of studies that have been going on to track the legacy of poisoning of communities and tend to, to come up with you know, strategies for remediation. So there's a variety of, of things that, you know, tactics and strategies that, that leaders and organizations have been deploying, and they've been deploying them you know, for quite some time. Uh, there's also, I would say, an effort, particularly among some of the, the leading uh, activist groups, to link their struggles, uh, you know, not just domestically, but worldwide. Uh, you've seen, you know, um, you know, big, big efforts to, uh, you know, hold uh, some of those sociopathic corporations like, you know, uh, Chevron uh, mm-hmm. or, or, or Royal Shell uh, uh, accountable, not just you know, because they've been poisoning and, and, and harming people, you know, in uh, the Bay Area in the case of, of Chevron, as it's been done, as it has done for decades and decades, mm-hmm. uh, you know, in the East Bay in particular, but also. Uh, those communities in the East Bay have been working with affected communities in, in places as far away as Ecuador, uh, where they've also been the the, the, the unfortunate recipient, you uh, can't say beneficiary, but the unfortunate recipient of Chevron's uh, ecocide in, in you know, far away right. as the, the Ecuadorian Amazon. Uh, you've seen strategies uh, that people in Louisiana's chemical corridor, as it's called, uh, you know, fighting against the likes of Shell Oil, 
connect with those folks uh, in the Niger River Delta in Nigeria to uh, fight against that same sociopathic recidivistic criminal corporation in the form of Royal Dutch Shell. Um, so you've seen uh, a variety of you know, strategies, and, and those communities aren't just sort of marching and protesting, in which they've done all that, but they're hauling uh, Shell uh, into court uh, in the United Kingdom. Uh, they're hauling uh, Chevron into court in a variety of venues. They had a landmark decision against Chevron in Ecuador uh, that was upheld by the Ecuadorian Supreme Court. Um, so there's a, a, a phalanx, as it were, of community strategies rooted in um, legal agitation, mm-hmm. rooted in um, you know civic agitation, uh, rooted in research, uh, and also rooted in uh, strategies to uh, essentially um, you know get out of these bad uh, polluting activities uh, you know writ large, uh, and and so you've got communities. Uh, you know, making the case and making demands that uh, their pension funds and their funds, where they, you know, they have may have resources and things, divest from these companies, uh, and and you're seeing now uh, a, a big sea uh, change in movement, uh, particularly not just because oil is cheap uh, in the case of oil, uh, but you know, there's a pressure that's getting people to to get out of all these bad, uh, you know, industries uh, and then to back things that work. Uh, whether it's renewables, whether it's other sorts of things. So, so there's a variety of, I'll call them pushing and pulling strategies that play uh, infinitely creative, infinitely dynamic, responding to the sort of the, the evil, uh, as it were, of, you know, sociopathic, uh, you know, corporate criminals, whether they be Shell, or whether they be Exxon, whether they be Monsanto, you name the, the evil boogeyman that's been, you know, poisoning, <laughs> killing, yeah, uh, and undermining communities, uh, you know, uh, from uh, east to west, north to south, around the world, backwards and forwards. Sure, sure. So we're talking about over the last, say, let's say the last 50 years, 100 years, right? Millions of American minorities from from indigenous peoples uh, to African-Americans to the increasing number of Latino folks here uh, who who have suffered in some way from from small to large uh, from many of these environmental injustices. So the big question is, is... And sometimes this means, uh, like you said, hyper-local litigation uh, against a massive multinational uh, oil company. But how, how do we design a system to to repay them? The, the word that scares everyone, right, always, is is reparations, right? There's been talk of reparations for uh, American slavery, which, of course, right, it's the first defense. But the system wasn't ab- abandoned after that. I mean, all you have to do is 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 learn about Reconstruction and everything after that, it was redesigned and built upon from from housing and uh, and food to to the new Jim Crow and and prisons. But get digging in specifically to environmental reparations. I mean, how how do we do that? What why is this conversation confronting in a tangible way our past been such a non-starter? And and how do we have what do we have to do to get that ball moving to make that a part of the national discourse? Not just well, planning I, for the future, but looking to the past as well. Yeah, you know, I, I don't know uh, for whom uh, you know the word reparations. Uh, you know, is, is scary. Uh, I'd, I'd love to meet those individuals. I think a lot of old white guys old in white Washington. People. Yeah. Well, yeah, I, I, I'm not trafficking. With, you know, sure. with, with that sure. kind of nonsense. You know, um, you know, the, the reality is that we can, you know, uh, put a price tag upon, uh, let us say, uh, reprehensible actions, oftentimes. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know whether whether or not we like to do so is, is another thing altogether. Mm-hmm. But we do have the the ability 
to you know value you know tortious harm, harm whether it's from pollution, uh, hazardous waste, or facilities. Uh, we can value it in, in a great number of ways. And uh, you know, given that that is possible, there is indeed uh, an effort afoot. Uh, and it, it has been met with, indeed, you're right, uh, a lot of resistance, uh, you know, both uh, you know, in courts as well as, you know, those old white men that you're talking about who maybe don't want to hear about it. But the, we have the ability to, uh, you know, identify uh, and cost and put a dollar value uh, on certain kinds of harm. Uh, and then to the extent that we do, uh, we can have a, a conversation about well, how people should be compensated. The, the, the challenge, however, I think, it, you know, is uh, you know, you know, do we and can we value the loss of life? Now, technically, there are ways to do that, mm-hmm. uh, but really, I, I think we've got so sort of two solution sets going forward. We've got uh, folks that are you know making demands to to seek compensation from from harm. That mm-hmm. was that's been the approach in the, the now going on almost thirty year battle against Chevron to mm-hmm. to get them to pay, um, and and several jurisdictions have said they ought to. Uh, some so some folks have been trying to chase down their resources and take some of their resources to get them to pay. But at the same time, we also, uh, you know, we don't want to get uh, too, uh, we don't want to be only working down, let us say, uh, one battlefront. Sure. Uh, we, we now know, uh, and we, we now have the technology, and, and now the finances, oddly enough, and this is, this is really a new thing, uh, the, the, the good stuff in terms of energy, at least, uh, the clean green uh, energy, uh, the prices are on the side of justice, as it were. So no longer uh, does it make economic sense to continue to to burn uh, coal and oil and even gas. It doesn't make any economic sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we, we now see, because of that, a, a great number of jurisdictions, uh, as well as whole uh, countries even, uh, making large commitments. Uh, we, we first had in the U.S. Hawaii, uh, which is is novel in and of itself because you know Hawaii doesn't have a, a neighbor to its north. It's called the ocean, right? So, so <laughs> right. They, they made I've the commitment. Uh, you know, right? they, they made a commitment to 100 percent renewables. Shortly thereafter came California. Shortly thereafter came uh, New York City, or well, the state of New York rather. Shortly thereafter, uh, Washington D.C. And, and and recently, very recent, just a few weeks ago, Illinois, all making the commitment to 100 percent renewable energy. So we've got folks making the demand and trying to battle some of the evil polluting companies and to get reparations and, and get what's due to them from being harmed and damaged by those, those mm-hmm. companies. But at the same time, now we have an opportunity opening with uh, building out a new different kind of future that will protect communities uh, writ large. Um, and that's in the form of the build out of, of energy. Um, renewable energy in particular, solar and wind. So, all right. So I I think we're, that's actually getting us to a good place here, which is, which is starting to address, you know, how our listeners can, can get involved in that way. And and a lot of them are on a local level, either, uh, you know, looking around their, their, their township, their city, their county, their region, uh, their state, and either uh, holding people to the fire, uh, electing new ones or running themselves. And and very similarly, uh, on a national level, um, as much as those local offices are, are super important and the state ones are as well for a variety of reasons, mostly in, in a lot of ways, because that's where you're going to see the most tangible impact, <clears throat> especially on an environmental front. You know, young people are, are running for office and essentially saying, fuck it, I'll do it myself. So we want to encourage that as, as well. But uh, 
our goal is to provide these specific action steps our listeners can can take to support this mission, your mission, our mission with their voice, their vote, and their dollars. So let's start with their their voice. W- one of our overarching goals always is to shine a light on where we need to go as a people and, and you know, hopefully we're pushing in the right direction, a progressive, more equal uh, direction here in a lot of ways. What are the big actionable but specific questions we should be asking of our existing representatives? Well, there's a great number of them, to be perfectly honest, but I think if I had, if I had to, 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 to really, you know, dare myself, um, you know, <laughs> Oh, we dare you, doctor, you know, to, 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 to focus, uh, down, I, I really would, you know, challenge people to, to do more than simply ask questions of representatives. Okay. Uh, I, I, I think that's, that's the first thing. Sure. Uh, the, the reality is we need to, we need to really reorient ourselves to understand that uh, the true sense of that term of representative, that means that these individuals, uh, you know, whether they be as, you know, let us say visionary as AOC, as she's moniker, uh, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. or as retrograde uh, as, you know, uh, you know, Ted Cruz or any other, uh, you know, retrograde characters in the end of the day, they all are working for those whom they represent. Mm-hmm. And that is the thing, I think the key thing that people uh, must never forget, uh, no matter how progressive they seem. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we, we began to to put together what has now been morphed into the, the Sunrise Initiative and so forth, uh, me and a handful of students, by uh, closely reading and looking at the lackluster climate policies of the past president, right? So nobody in your listening audience should be tricked or fooled to think that representatives are somehow going to be the, the savior or the or represent the Holy Ghost or something like this. So so that's the first thing. Sure. Right? And so if you have that orientation, then um, <laughs> you don't need to go and, and be asking them to do things. You've got to sort of point the way and lay down the groundwork. And, and I think that's really what we have to sort of focus on. Mm-hmm. But if you force me, as, you, as you're trying to do, <laughs> I think there's a, a couple of things that, that we might uh, dare uh, demand from them. You know, we need uh, aggressive new policies for uh, clean and renewable energy. A, a great number of states, you know, a good third of them actually have, how can I say, quasi-legal status for uh, renewable energy on their books. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, houses in some states uh, aren't allowed to generate their own energy, right? So the, 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 in, a, in a handful of states, and, more, and actually quite in more than a handful, in a few handfuls actually, um, you know, more than a dozen, we need rules that make the clean renewable energy fully legal. Okay, that, that's the first thing in some mm-hmm. states, you know. Mm-hmm. So, and alongside of that, we need... Uh, systems that not only allow the, the clean and green stuff to be lawful, uh, which may seem a bit bizarre to some listeners, but it's, it's the case. Uh, we also need it to be accessible. So we need <clears throat> rules that are going to ab- enable those that don't necessarily have the, uh, the financial wherewithal to, uh, if, they, if, they, if they're lucky enough to own a home, uh, or if they don't, uh, and they don't have the means to, you know, put solar panels 
handles on their home or, you know, or put monies down, they need to be able to get access to those resources. So, mm-hmm. so the, the second question is, you know, what are the representatives doing to basically enable uh, access to all and for all and by all to the cleanest and greenest energy? And then right alongside of that, and it's not third, but it's, it's literally it's a tie for second, as it were, is what are the steps that, and if this is probably doesn't really go to the representatives, it might go to them a little bit, but what are the um, burdens, and I think it's, it might be fair to call this a burden, what are the burdens and constraints that they are putting on utility providers to de- generate and deliver energy from green sources? Right now, a great number of states uh, have lackluster, if any at all, what we call renewable portfolio standards. Mm-hmm. So, and some of the ones that do, uh, they're making the commitments for, you know, 20 and 30 years down track. Uh, you know, Michigan is a good example. Um, they just uh, passed a millage to get money from ratepayers to fund the build out of, uh, of one, and they want to do another multi-billion dollar gas-fired power plant. For the state, the fact is, is that long before they even build such foolishness, those investments will be underwater for the ratepayers. The ratepayers are going to be paying right. uh, unnecessarily for these bankrupt projects, and that's just that's with gas. And why? Because as I right. told you a second ago, solar and wind is cheaper. So we yep. can't have we, we got to have representatives to the extent that they they are working for the people, making uh, the 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 playing field uh, at a minimum uh, pro renewables. And, and and the reality is is that we probably won't even need to um, – we're going to have to agitate. That's where that street heat is going to have to come into play. Keep the heat in the street. We can't wait to, to be asking representatives, many of whom are in the pockets of you know, oil and gas and receiving oil and gas money. Some of them aren't going to you know, deliver on these sorts of demands anyway. So that's why I said at the top of this, let's not any listener get confused and fooled and tricked to think that – uh, you're going to get things by asking people that are already captured uh, sure. by the dirty right. uh, industries. So we need to always keep that as the first principles in, in the front of our minds. And then we begin to uh, you know, pressure uh, not just the utilities, not just the, the dirty uh, companies, but also begin to, to build out in uh, communities, uh, you know, renewables. And, and this is increasingly, even, even for those on the margins, the ability to, to do so is actually increasingly possible because solar and wind, and particularly solar, is becoming and has become so very cheap, so very affordable. Uh, and that's only going to continue to be the case going forward. Sure. And so quickly. I mean, it's astonishing when you look at, you know, uh, yeah, when, no, when absolutely. I, I like Bloomberg, to call Bloomberg five years ago right, sure. the, the, the solar Jurassic Park. Why? Because the prices were 80 to 90 percent higher than they are today. Yeah, no, it's it's it is incredible. Uh, I think it's just saying, you know, places like Bloomberg New Energy who make these guesses about what it's going to look like or what EV rollout's going to look like or you know, solar panel costs of, uh, over time and when you build in uh subsidies or not and it feels like every 2 years they put out a new report and they're like that went a lot quicker than we thought. Yeah. Um and that's great news and and you know, you see these new reports now that say that 
it it would be cheaper to 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 tear down these these coal and gas plants and and put in new solar that would actually be cheaper than still running than to let them run um, yeah we just shared that awesome article yeah, seven it says 75% of coal plants if we shut them down and replace them it would be cheaper it would it's still insane. be cheaper it's it's incredible so you talk about the the captured representatives right the, these captured representatives and, and you know there are some that have have said now that they're not taking pack money or or oil money and there's certain pledges they can take uh things like that but uh, looking forward as we look towards, uh, for instance, in, in 2019, the entire Virginia House is up and in 2020, obviously, is a big, day, big day. Who should uh, our listeners be looking for to put into office to more truly represent us? What what sort of candidates should they be uh, identifying or looking within themselves or their friends? Well, you know, I, I think in the end of the day, and let's, let's take the question and chop it in half. Please. Um, you know. In terms of those folks that are, you know, making uh, pledges to not take the the dirty money, there mm-hmm. are, there are, are, are far and many of them. You know, mm-hmm. I just heard the other day, and you you guys probably saw it. You know, Mayor Pete said he's not going to take any more oil money. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The reality is, is as nice as that is, is that we've got to keep our eye on all of the representatives, right? Yep. I don't care who they are, or where they're coming from. So, so the key thing for the citizenry. The key thing for uh, you know Joe and Jane Citizen, as it were, no matter where they're from, no matter what their orientation is, no matter what their political disposition is, right, left, otherwise, uh, is well. That's great, Mayor Pete. You get one thumb up. But the reality is, is that everybody's got to make sure that next week and next month and next year that that commitment stays true, and, and it also not just symbolically is true, but that Mayor Pete and others who make those claims. That they walk the talk, right? Sure. Because there's nothing, you know, less uh, unworthy than to make those claims as some do. Uh, but then uh, they may, he may not take it. But then he may not be walking the talk. So that's the first thing I think that people have to, to sure. get on with is is you know being vigilant over these characters, uh, because again, uh, that's what it means to be part of civicus, you know, to be you know sure. you know part of the public, as it were. So that's the first part. The second part in terms of, you know, uh, who should people pick, you know, I, I think that that's so particular to different communities. Uh, I, I think that people should begin to to recognize and cultivate uh, and nurture the representative in themselves. Uh, I, I think, mm-hmm. you know, from my vantage personally, uh, many, many more people than not have that representative inside themselves, and they need to begin to cultivate that. And at the the, the the minimum level of cultivation is simply, you know, tuning in and being aware of what is going on with those individuals that are representing you. Sure. More and more people are doing that, uh, and, and and people need to continue to do that. And, and, it, and it's possible to do this. I mean, I, I think you know, I, I would ask your listeners to, to 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 take the challenge that I oftentimes used to you know ask my students. Um, okay, how many of you? you know, want clean and green energy? Most people raise their hand. How many of you want, you know, a healthy neighborhood? Most people raise their hand. How many of you want, uh, you know, anything that's sort of, you know, good for the community, as it were? Most people raise their hand. Mm-hmm. Well, how many of you have, in the past year, contacted any elected official at any level? Sure. Um, and few people raise their hand, yeah. you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, how many of you have done it in the past few months? You know, not even the past year, in the past sure. six months, three months, sure. even fewer people raise their hand. How many of you have done it this week? 
you know, maybe only a couple people raise a hand. Uh, and some of your listeners should think about that. Sure. Um, because I, I think, you know, really, that's where we have to begin at that level of sort of civic engagement of ourselves. And then I, I think we'll see, and I think we, it, it comes out organically, you know, those that are the most interested in community, those that are have been fighting the fight, whether they've been activists, they don't necessarily have to be, have, have have held any kind of office. I think it's those individuals that that really have been on the front lines, uh, delivering for their communities. That, that's where we want to to look to that you know pipeline, if if there ever was one, you know, for who's going to you know lead and represent uh, you, know, you know people in in their communities at, at you know the the sort of the the local level or the state level or even the national level. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, and it's it's no surprise that the, the last president. Some people, you know, chose to make fun of this, but, you know, was, uh, you know, had his, was cut, cut his chops as a community organizer. Sure. Um, you know, and, and, and I, I think that's where we, we see that kind of, you know, critical ground for those that are going to have the, the chops to, to represent and, and, and do that, you know, in a serious manner. And it does. And it, and it makes a, a look, what was, <laughs> So last president, uh, uh, President Obama, was he perfect? You know, not by any stretch, but of course, it's very easy to, uh, th- you can say that in an objective way, but you can also, we all were, were very quick to, to look upon this, this man and, and to a greater degree to his family as well and, and paint on him the picture of what we wanted him to be because he, 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 he had the ability to offer so many different things in so many different ways, but there's no doubt his, you know, his community organizing experience as, as well as his worldliness uh, was able to lend him uh, a, uh, a legitimacy uh, and a leg to stand on to understand how things get done and the reality of how things don't get done, how the sausage gets made or how it fails to be in a lot of ways, because, because he, 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 with his own hands, you know, sat in church, church basements and, and tried to get, uh, you know, community level things off the ground. And that does translate. Um, that does make a difference. So uh, I, I guess then, you know, the, the last note is, is what about their dollar? Are, are there specific organizations out there that are having uh, the biggest, most effective impact uh, kind of pertaining to our, our topic today? Anybody you really love that where we could funnel some cash? Well, you you know, no, I, I, I'm biased, you know. Oh, please, that, <laughs> you know? that's why you're here, man. So, so uh, I, I'm certainly keen. And, and before I, I reveal my bias, I, I, I would say again, you know, no better place than the grassroots of the grassroots and the organizations that are fighting the good fight in listeners' backyards. You know, whether that's, uh, you know, in communities like Flint, whether that's in communities like, you know, Chester, Pennsylvania, whether that's in communities like on the south side of Chicago, Altgill Gardens and so forth. Mm-hmm. Um, I think first and foremost for, you know, those that really need the resources are the, the scrappy on the ground, uh, you know, given that true heat in the streets organizations that many of whose names are only known uh, and some don't even have uh, you know, websites or or, or sure. the resources for that sort of thing sure. because they really are truly on the ground. So I mm-hmm. would say first in line are those groups and, you know, way, way more than, you know, I could even possibly name. Now, in terms of my bias, you know, I, I'm certainly keen on uh, and, and a fan of uh, the Sunrise effort. 
uh, you know, being led now by great you know, groups of young folks, mm-hmm. uh, you know, working tirelessly, uh, you know, playing a critical role in, in putting together what's now, you know, the Green New Deal and the components of that and agitating for that on, on college campuses uh, and in communities around the country. Uh, <clears throat> I, I, I couldn't, uh, you know, uh, you know, not give a nod to, you know, organizations that, you know, whose boards I sit on, you know, like the Center for Environmental Health in, in the East Bay uh, with offices in Oakland, mm-hmm. California, you know, fighting the good fight against toxics, uh, you know, in, in our environment and, and, and in California and beyond. Uh, groups like Food First, uh, not, uh, you know, quintessential environmental group, mm-hmm. but nevertheless looking at the, at the, the nexus of, of food and economic and environmental racism and, and fighting the fight for food justice, you know. So, uh, you know, those are some of my favorites. Um, and, and I think really, um, you know, folks, uh, first and foremost, again, I stress remembering and, and, and committing and giving resources, both uh, uh, money kind as well as, uh, you know, uh, energy uh, and, and uh, other kinds, the in-kind resources and working with, you know, groups in their own backyard. Yeah. And I, I, yeah, I think that's a really good point. Like you said, there's, there's far too many to name and especially that have sprung up in the past few years and some of them really are so embedded in the streets. They don't have time to build a website or go hunting for money, but, but find out in your community. And if not, you know, start one. Um, there's resources there out go. there. There's people that can help you there. There, there are people, you know, we always like to say everybody can contribute in different ways. And there's somebody out there that can do your artwork for you. There's somebody out there who is really only comfortable cutting a check. That's fine. Take their money and and go do what you do best um, and, right. and have your impact. It, to, that That's how these movements are are built, is everybody doing what they can contribute the most to. Um, there you go. All right, Brian, bring it home. Doctor. It has been an absolute pleasure having you. Thank you for talking to us mm-hmm. and dealing with all the shit this morning. My pleasure. Uh, yeah, I, pleasure. I mean, you're somewhere in Europe, as far as we know. And it's, it's, I'm in Berlin. It's, Berlin. It's, it. it's, it's rooted yeah. through three different uh, call centers, but we're, we got it. And it's been wonderful. It's, it's great. Uh, Michael, uh, you know, Jason Bourne might be coming after you. It's fine. It's all going to be fine. You'll figure it out. Well, I, I passed the, the, the mall that he ran out of, so I think oh, I'm perfect. good. Oh, excellent. Perfect, perfect, perfect. Uh, but yeah, seriously, thank thank you very, very much. Um, uh, just the last few few questions and stuff. First of all, if you can think of anybody whether it's now or later in an email, if you have a second that we should talk to anybody uh, fighting as hard as you, or maybe just under as hard as you. Yeah. Other world changers again, you know, things that are so many, so many, I'll send you guys a list, you know, I, I, you know, there's just so many, you know, colleagues that are doing, you know, uh, amazing work, you know, you know, uh, whether it's, you know, folks like Dr. Beverly Wright, you Mm -hmm. know, giving the good fight and, Mm -hmm. and doing the research on it, on environmental justice and for and against environmental racism, whether it's folks like Dr. Bob Bullard or, or colleagues like, you know, Evan Weber, you know, on the mm-hmm. front lines with Sunrise, whether it's, you know, folks like uh, Danny Kennedy out there, you know, working, uh, you know, for clean energy in California uh, and on and on and on and on. You know, there, there's so many great folks. I'll definitely send you a list. Well, we, we appreciate Much it. Yeah. Appreciate we, it's, it. we always imagine that you guys are all on basically the same text message thread together. <laughs> all of you people that are out there changing the world. And yeah, that's just, how that works, one right? day we're hoping to just slide in there. <laughs> there you go. Uh, That'd be great. Awesome. Awesome. All right. Uh, we have uh, what Quinn likes to call a lightning round. It is it's, uh, not a lightning round. It's not a lightning round. But uh, we've just a few more questions if you're ready. All right. Uh, uh, Dr. Dorsey, uh, when was the first time in your life when you realized you had the power of change or the power to do something meaningful? I mean that mm-hmm. that I, I would have to to take it back 
uh, to, uh, you know, maybe elementary or, or even, you know, sort of early, early days. And it wasn't so much me, but it was understanding in my head that my grandmother uh, was at the forefront of union organizing uh, against the the racist legacy of the Ford family in uh, in Detroit. Uh, you know, she 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 gave forty years of her life on the line at Ford, and I was quite young when I realized that. You know, not only was she on the line, but she was very active in the union movement uh, and organizing people. So it was sort of understanding that, uh, and that that was something that people could do was, you know, something that came to you very early. And, 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 and that didn't sort of get me to be, you know, you know, pro-union, which I am, but it, it, it sealed the deal in my head that, uh, that that type of life was possible. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was, it was understanding that, and that was quite early. Um, I love that. Uh, I love that. My grandmothers are the best. Uh, yeah, no, she was, she was, she was, she was dynamite. I love it. Uh, who is, uh, someone in your life that has positively impacted your work in the past six months? Oh, wow. I, I would have to say in the past six months, now you're putting some, mm-hmm. some, mm-hmm. some, getting, some, getting some boundaries on it now. But, but, but I, I, I can tell you, uh, it's quite easy to tell you. Um, it, it has been working with uh, a very uh, robust and august and tenacious group of Zimbabwean professionals uh, some of whom Harvard trained, but uh, working with uh, engineers uh, in Zimbabwe who uh, have been helping us uh, build out uh, what's going to come out to be 200 megawatts of solar. Uh, and they uh, approached my group uh, first. They actually, to be perfectly honest, they've been bothering me for about five years. <laughs> and I kept telling them that we wouldn't come and invest in Zimbabwe be- until there was a change in the regime down there. Sure. And 18 months ago or so, when there was, when that change came, they called again and said, well, the change is here. Are you coming? And, and we've, been, we've been down there uh, now that about the past 18 months, you know, just after the political change. And, and it has been an amazing group of folks. They, they've been inspirational at every, every turn. Uh, and they've really, uh, I think, showed me because, like I say, and it's true, that they came to me before. And I said, well, no, we can't go down there. And they stayed on me. Uh, and they've been great to work with. So they've been profoundly inspirational. Uh, and, and I think for me, it also it, it, it reminds us that uh, despite the antics and foolishness and tomfoolery and hucksterism we see in our own White House, a great number of countries are being very serious about renewable energy and they're going to leap ahead. Uh, they're going to leap ahead, certainly in the United States, and they're going to lead the way. Um, so they've been inspirational, the, the folks in Zimbabwe. I, lo- I love that. I love, uh, I love, like you said, their tenacity. They're, n- they're not giving up. They were going to get you down oh, they, there. They, they, they bothered me for years. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you got to bring solar here. You got to bring solar. You got to bring solar. And, and I, you know, I kept telling them, we can't, you know, it's too risky to invest down there, you know, with Mugabe and everything. But when that changed, sure. they called again. Oh so, man, that's special. Quinn understands. Awesome. I've been bothering Quinn for years. All I do is try to get Brian to read like three books. I've been asking for two years. Just there's three books. Anyways, Working on it. Different discussion. <laughs> Not uh, the same thing. <laughs> Doctor, uh, what do you do when you feel overwhelmed? Specifically, what's your what's your self care? The yeah. word that everybody loves. 
You know, I, I don't. I rarely feel overwhelmed. But and then what, I, what I tell you, some people, some people may find it overwhelming. <laughs> I, I've taken up a, a habit that some people sort of wonder why I've done it anyway. Called sky running. Excuse um, me, now sky. <laughs> sky running. Okay. Yeah. So uh, that means usually a distance that's uh, at least uh, marathon length or longer, mm-hmm. uh, with uh, of uh, elevation gain or loss of more than 5,000 feet across the race. Uh, so Ooh, I've no, I'm a interested of in this. Wow. <laughs> Brian, this is Brian's <laughs> nightmare, but I'm, I'm, we might be have to talk offline about this. Please That's continue. Fine. Well, no, it would be, I, 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 be, be my pleasure to tell you about it. There is an International Skyrunning Federation. Uh, your listeners can check it out at skyrunning.com. skyrunning.com. Yeah. So, um, and, uh, you know, so it's, uh, it's a, it's a fun thing. I, I've always been, uh, a, a hiker, a backpacker, a climber, uh, and then, and also a runner. Uh, you know, I ran, you know, I started running back actually, I ran my first, uh, fun run or fun races, you know, fun run, I guess called fun run mm-hmm. when I was 10 years old, I love uh, so it. quite a long time ago. Uh, and I still have the little tiny T-shirt from that race. <laughs> uh, but so sky running is basically uh, cross country in the mountains. Uh, so, uh, and if anybody wants to join me, I'm I'm going back to run the Tromso Sky Race. Uh, it'll be in August, up above the Arctic Circle in Tromso, Norway. I've done that race twice. So Brian, we're in. Listeners are, are welcome. Brian's doing it. Oh my God! Uh, Come on, <laughs> I, I'm into it. Uh, we're yeah, we're we might have to chat about this more. We might have to do a live <laughs> podcast. I have some work definitely. to do. We, we should do it. Uh, I'd be up for it. No, it. And it's beautiful, too. So you listen to definitely oh, I'm you know, sure. check it out. That, 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 that's my stick. I, I've only been doing it for a few years. So, and, 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 I, and I run kind of slow. So, you know. Hey, man. Uh, you're getting it, it done, though. Mountains. I love yeah. it. Yeah. yeah. Uh, great. How, uh, how do you consume the news? Oh, uh, wow. You know, through multiple sources all the time, Usually in uh, English and Spanish, uh, and then it, you know, I'm working in about uh, two dozen countries, um, so we constantly are tracking both the I would say the political news because it has implications on on, our, on some of our projects sometimes, but also certainly right behind that and that really tie for first the political and economic news of the countries where we work in. Uh, we, we follow a lot of the trade press on renewable energy. Um, you know, I, I'm also gathering, uh, you know, really trying to stay both in the news and ahead of the news and out of the news at the same time. And by sure. that, I mean, uh, you know, certainly, you know, focus on the news, but then looking at, uh, research, which isn't really in the news, but some of which comes into the news, uh, some of which sets a tone, uh, for how we, you know, sort of deal with the news. So uh, I'm collecting from all those sources simultaneously all the time. I love it. Excellent. <clears throat> I love it. All right. Last question. If you could Amazon prime one book to Donald Trump, what book would you choose? Oh, wow. Uh, wow. I only just recently got that thing. Uh, so but look, uh, uh, any way you want to send it, you, you know, smoke <laughs> signal, who cares? Uh, <laughs> You know, if if I could, uh, wow, um, this 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 may come um, as a um, as a twist to some of the listeners, but I, I think I would send him uh, Eduardo Galeano's The Book of Embraces. Okay. 
um, which uh, is just a beautiful book of, it must be, oh my God, uh, a few hundred uh, poignant short stories, uh, some of whom are short as a paragraph, some of the longest ones, maybe two, three pages. Uh, but each short story in, in the Book of Embraces contains in it um, a potent parable or anecdote uh, about uh, the, the, I guess you might say, uh, how amazingly possible humans are in the face of not just adversity, but uh, complex situations and circumstances. And I think that that's something that, even though he probably wouldn't read it, that uh, anybody who dares call themselves president ought to be tuned into. I love it. Excellent. That's awesome. I have a special place in my heart for short stories. There's some incredible literature out there. Yeah. Um, yeah. Amazing. Uh, Dr. Dorsey, where can I listeners follow you on the internet? Oh my God. You know, <laughs> you could do that at Twitter. Uh, okay. And, and I should, you know, I should confess, I've, I've never confessed to this, you know, uh, in public. Oh boy. Uh, a great, uh, a great amount of my Twitter is automated because who has serious time for tweeting? Mm-hmm. Uh, I'll leave that with those who, who do actively tweet to, to ponder. Okay. Uh, so that said, <laughs> you can go to Green Hegira, which is, so it's green, it's all one word, green, G-R-E-E-N, Hegira, H-E-J-I-R-A. Uh, and that's, you know, that's my Twitter ha- handle. Uh, a lot of it's automated, so uh, you know, confession first. Yeah. Um, but uh, check me out place. there. Um, you know, and, and 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 in reality, you know, real talk for 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 listeners. I know folks, uh, you know, may not have time, and, and don't don't flood my box, people. But <laughs> but be in touch. You know, there's no reason to follow me. Let's have a conversation. Let's move the needle together. Man, I love that. Um, absolutely, fun. conversations are. Hopefully what's going to get things done. That's, that's our goal here. Well, well listen, uh, Dr. Dorsey, can't thank you enough for everything you're doing uh, and everything you're going to do uh, and for taking the time today and the, and the pure street hustle it took to get this, to get this conversation done. <laughs> no, totally my pleasure. My pleasure. Definitely. Uh, awesome. Well, listen, we will, uh, we will talk yeah. to you again soon. Uh, good luck with all the travel. I hope you get your bag back at some point. Um, I'm looking forward to that'd it be too. great. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure. Uh, all right. Well, we will talk to you soon. Thank you so much, doctor. Thank you. Thanks to our incredible guest today. And thanks to all of you for tuning in. We hope this episode has made your commute or awesome workout or dishwashing or fucking dog walking late at night that much more pleasant. As a reminder, please subscribe to our free email newsletter at importantnotimportant.com. It is all the news most vital to our survival as a species. And you can follow us all over the internet. You can find us on Twitter at importantnotimp. Uh, just so weird. Also on Facebook and Instagram at Important Not Important, Pinterest and Tumblr, the same thing. So check us out, follow us, share us, like us, you know the deal. And please subscribe to our show wherever you listen to things like this. And if you're really fucking awesome, rate us on Apple Podcasts. Keep the lights on, thanks. Please. (laughs) And you can find the show notes from today right in your little podcast player and at our website, importantnotimportant.com. Thanks to the very awesome Tim Blaine for our jamming music, to all of you for listening, and finally, most importantly, to our moms for making us. Have a great day. Thanks, guys. Thanks.